0: This is Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home podcast, with a conversation about collaboration and that special relationship that exists between architect and designer. I'm Josh Cooperman, Director of Broadcast Operations for Hudson One Media. And every week, all of us at Hudson One, Aspire Design and Home, and Home Plus by Aspire do our best to bring you stories of amazing creatives from within the design community. This week, we focus on Alex Gorlin of Alexander Gorlin Architects and Judy Dunn of Butter and Eggs. We dive deep into their collaboration on the Sterling Forest House, a simply magnificent project in Sterling Forest, New York. Water, wood, stone, and glass, a project that features a stunning home designed to disappear into the landscape. Luxury that lives comfortably, and materials that deceive the eye at every turn. And you're gonna hear how they did it right after this. Now, more than ever before, it's so important to take care of the fabrics that make up incredible design. High quality furnishings are an investment. As with any investment, you need to protect it. Removing stains is easy with fiber seal and the most talented designers will tell you that caring for the fabric is critical to its longevity. Just about every homeowner will tell you that stains happen. Protecting fine furnishings with fiber seal gives your clients the best opportunity for success in stain removal. Designers, recommend to your clients that they protect their fine furnishings with FiberSeal. Why? Well, FiberSeal is a suite of products, protective treatments, at-home care products, as well as superior customer service. And the most popular products are GreenGuard Gold Certified. Each treatment comes with superior service from a company dedicated to protecting your fine fabrics, carpets, and rugs from stains and environmental factors that damage fine textiles. You can work with FiberSeal for pre-testing before you make your textile selects. They are industry partners of both ASID and the Interior Design Society. So they understand the needs of the design community and how to care for fine furnishings. Visit FiberSeal online to learn more about how it works. You can also connect online at FiberSealNortheast.com and on Instagram at FiberSealNortheast. Okay, so the, the first question I have for you, before we even get into the Sterling Forest House at all, I love collaborations. I think collaborations are really what make life interesting. And I'm curious, what was the experience for, for you two working together? Had you worked together before? How did, you, how did you come together on this project? What was the experience like?
1: Well, we actually met uh, over 20 years ago um, when I lived uh, in Tribeca, and Judy had a wonderful home design shop called Butter and Eggs, and I used to go there all the time with my wife at the time, and uh, I just loved everything Judy had selected uh, for its kind of materiality and authenticity and fresh take. So I've admired Judy for many, many years. And I always hoped that we would work together. And so this was the culmination of a dream come true, I would say.
2: (laughs) Um, Do I get to jump in? Wow, what a nice lead in. I don't even have to, you know, I I don't know what else I could say, except to say that um, Alex sort of brought me into the process. So I got to step in when the house was, sighted and in process and was so spectacular. And um, then we literally together kind of let the interiors evolve directed by the beautiful exterior, both both, uh, naturally made and uh, with the assistance of a great architect. So we started with an amazing site, then there's an amazing house and we uh, had the ability also to collaborate with a client to make a beautiful interior. And I think truly that house is really about how you bring the outside indoors.
0: Yes. Listen, you know, it's so interesting because I'm a native Angelino, born and raised in LA. California is traditionally from the 70s right it's this is this is the home california is the home of 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 bringing the outside in and the inside out and making the most of every opportunity and what you've done here so i want to back up and talk about the sterling forest house for for a moment because it's in new york it's it's not it's not in malibu where it's 70 and sunny all year long you you have you have weather concerns but as it relates to architecture in particular, and starting with the architecture of this, where form follows function, follows form, and you have a site that you make something fit into the site, not necessarily changing the environment, but actually adapting the home to that environment. Where did you start with this project?
1: Well, visiting the site is always the beginning. And uh, at the time, my clients accompanied me as well. And actually on the site, he the client expressed some desires about uh, how the house should be sited um, and place of arrival. And they were also um, inspired by a house that I had designed in Colorado uh, many years ago that was stone and glass that appeared to grow out of the site. So uh, the house is really... Uh, continues that vocabulary, but extending it further and adapting it directly to this this, uh, beautiful untouched site in this historic community.
0: And Judy, I'm curious, Do you, do you start ideating, were you brought in before, you know, when it was just a site before, before, no, not a, not a stone was turned, you know, did you start at the very beginning? And if you do, how does, how does that work in your mind? How do you imagine, you know, let me back up a second. I love that, you know, in the write-up for this, you, you mentioned vernacular um, because I, I do believe that architecture is a language and that design is a dialect within within that language and we're talking about crafting something from the very beginning where an architect and designer are are sort of collaborating outside in inside out and what the end product is going to be almost almost imagined bef- before you know any materials arrive on site do you start thinking about your approach
2: at,
0: at the very beginning
2: so you know that's interesting. I wouldn't say that there's one way of working in this particular project. Um, I did come in when the house had taken some form, so it was it was starting to evolve. That being said, um, we I had a, also great latitude to collaborate and bring in other materials. But this house was so material centric and so richly textural, both with the landscape outside. And then we created this wonderful landscape inside. There's so much texture and natural organic, um, so many organic qualities and materials inside that that's really, I mean, this house for me was a big material study. It was also having a client who was willing to go on a journey and really bring in and create things for the house. So we don't always have, and I, I assume Alex's experience is the same. We don't always have clients who are willing to just let us do what we do and create something that's really special, but belongs to that place.
1: Right.
2: Um, these clients did that. They they understood how special this place is, and um, created something that was meant to be just for this place. Whether it's the walnut kitchen or the beautiful quartzite table or the barnwood. Uh, The rough-hewn barnwood, oxidized material cladding the front hallway, or the or the selenite quartz crystal chandeliers—like these—are all for that site. So, in this particular uh, project, I was very materials-driven. That is not always the case, although for me, materiality is always a primary element in my work and a driving force.
1: Well, the sign itself was very dramatic. It's really on the edge of a cliff, and it's characterized by great. Exposed uh, bedrock and boulders, and it overlooks a beautiful yes, le- mountain lake. So it's it itself was inspiring, and we really did bring the outside into the house.
0: One of the things that I think is, is fascinating that has to be taken into account. And, and again, I, I I I do appreciate the, this compare and contrast between sort of a a, a California outdoor environment that stays relatively stable year round there because there aren't well-defined seasons you don't have the leaf drop you don't have the opening up of new vistas and and here because you've got true seasons how do you think about that alex as you're as you're crafting something on the site you know you go in and you start looking at at the site you do a site visit in summer and you can't you can't see the road you can't see the lake you can't see the mountains you know you've got you've got a a a full canopy. You go back in January and now you're seeing things that, oh my gosh, you know, you, you have a whole leaf drop and now, now you're just, you're, you're looking and you're seeing things. So you're planning for sort of year round changing views and light changes and weather changes. I'm, I'm curious how you, how you sort of think through that process.
1: Well, ironically, uh, the clients also bought the house because of a view of the lake that's really only visible in the winter. On the other hand, the town is so restrictive in terms of uh, an architectural review board that they, wanted, they really did not want the house to be seen even in the winter. So you have this conflict between <laughs> making the house invisible uh, and the desire of the clients to see uh, the view. In fact, we had to do very detailed prospective studies showing uh, how the house, uh, even with a uh, a winter, uh, you know, lack of trees, would not be visible at all from the lake. But it, it's it's a back and forth. I mean, it's always a it's a dialogue between the desires of the site, the clients, and the the building, uh, the town itself. So.
0: And And I'm curious, Judy, how did knowing this, how did that how did that affect your work?
2: Well, I think first and foremost, palette wise, we stayed within uh, what I would consider to be this natural lush palette. So greens, uh, golds, um, there are deep slate colors which speak to the bedrock, um, deep brown. So all of those, whether it's summer or winter, occur inside and outside and that was sort of the thought is these soft you know blues greens golds um, that are very very much about fall but also very much about spring summer i mean there are some autumn oranges in there, soft blues so you really have kind of the palette of the earth and sky Coming in the house. So again, going back to our indoor outdoor living, but I would say in a much more northeastern vernacular, because because the site changes, because the landscape changes, I find. And it's funny because we, as you might imagine, Alex and I have been there and pretty much on every day of the year, um, and it is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful in the summer as it is in the winter but very different so you're much more about sort of the the grays and the browns in the winter and then the golds and greens um, in the summer and so it actually sort of uh it's it's sort of wonderful that it changes so dramatically throughout the seasons oh I find it and I think the clients agree they're very happy and they're very outdoorsy so they're not afraid of some cold weather
0: how, how cold does it get there? Does the lake freeze over?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was 11 degrees the other day in New York, so I imagine it was eight up there. I <laughs> think Yeah. Also, so, so, another aspect of the house is uh, we not only used a low iron glass, which is much clearer, but a non-reflective museum-quality glass. So when you're in the house, you don't see any... Uh, reflection or barrier between inside and out. So it's really quite remarkable. You, uh, in fact, it's quite stunning. You you look out and you feel like there's nothing in between you and the, and the exterior.
0: I think this is also a a remarkable case study for luxury building and sustainable design Mm -hmm. in, in a, In a politically charged climate where you're dealing with a historical board and you're also trying to trying to add a design element that you wanted to look a certain way while somebody else wants your project to be invisible there's so many moving parts here and by the way i i do think that because of how the industry is changing currently in response to how people have changed the manner in which they live. these issues are going to be are going to be of greater concern or are going to be more of a forefront conversations. And think about all the moving parts here. luxury, des- luxury building, sustainable design, working with a historical board, trying to make something wonderful and, and pleasing for the client, yet at the same time, making it, making sure it adapts to, to climate conditions. There's a lot going on here. How do you, how do you, how do you toggle through this? How do you manage that process?
1: Well, that's actually any architectural project. So, (laughs) Um, I mean, and especially in sustainable design, it's not only uh, one's desire, but it's also uh, regulated by, by building codes and laws now. So you have to meet certain energy codes. Uh, You can have more than a certain percentage of glass. The glass has to be also insulated. Uh, But this building is basically inserted into the rock cliff. So it really uh, utilizes all the natural um, temperatures of the the rock face itself, uh, which is very uh, regulated. and also using you know solid you know very thick pieces of granite on the exterior um, create a, a natural visual and also environmental uh, you know look to the house.
2: And also, I'm going to mention the green roof.
1: Yes, that's right. Really of course,
2: aesthetically pleasing because <laughs> it's very uh, visible from this one side of the house. What I'll call the guest wing. It's also a kind of rec room guest wing but it becomes a very visible element, aesthetic element, but it's also incredibly, you know, obviously a sustainable element as well.
1: Yeah, the entire roof is a green roof. So also yeah. from distance, the house blends into the landscape as well.
0: Which I think is fantastic. Um, the historical board must have, must have loved that, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious from a, from a technical standpoint, um, and pardon my ignorance in the, in the subject matter, but how does a, how does this particular green roof um, what's the performance like in an environment where it gets very hot and it gets very cold and, you know, there's, there's water issues. How does it perform?
1: Well, it provides an insulating barrier uh, to the roof. And it's also composed of uh, plants and uh, little sedums that, and mosses that grow without any, uh, irrigation. So the idea is that it's supposed to be an extension of the natural landscape and provides uh, uh, temperature insulation and uh, also more oxygen production and carbon absorption, so.
0: Hey, Judy, did, did these elements have anything to do with your specification selection?
2: In terms of, again, palette, I think that yeah. strong, um, it, it weighed strongly as we selected palette. I mean, the whole natural landscape really informed what we decided to do. Um, and the other part of working sustainably, or I mean, the way I work in my practice very typically is to work with smaller artisan workshops where possible. So I don't know that that's so much sustainable, but it's supporting artisan industry. And throughout the house, there are great pieces by small workshops. So it's not to say that we, we refuse to work with larger well-known companies, but we, where possible, always create with smaller uh, workshops. And I think that's an important component too, because to me, that's Sustaining a creative and artistic uh, sort of industry for you know for me, where I also see real innovation and creativity and things that are truly becoming heirlooms. So that to me is creating sustainable a sustainable world where there are things you create that you want to pass down.
0: Yeah, and I think that's so important. But Alex, I, I actually want to take issue with something that you said because I think it's important. You, uh, when, when we're talking about all of the issues that you face with this particular project, and you said, well, that's pretty much the case with any architectural project. I don't think that's true. I think it may be with any architectural project that you have to, that you're working on in perhaps New York or California. Uh, yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
0: But I but I will tell you, if you're working on a project in Texas or Oklahoma or you know, any of the what, what I have called, and it's not a pejorative, but you know, the design flyover states, you don't have the same rules and regulations. You know, there's they're still installing gas outlets. In, in in some projects, in some areas, they're, they're not right. as concerned no, with that's that's green true. or environmental. You right. don't have the same historical reference. I think the challenges that, that you had with this particular project make it even more special because right. of the challenges.
1: No, that's true. This was an extreme version <laughs> of a uh, East Coast, <laughs> highly regulated, not just state but community so yes (laughs) and actually this community uh is known historically for traditional houses and was a place that uh was the uh mountain resort of new york city in the 1880s and it's a gated community that is characterized by many mckim Mead and white houses and uh and the clients wanted a modern house and uh Actually, it turns out that there was nothing in the code, the architecture code that precluded a modern house, which I think surprised the architectural commission because they, uh, I think they would rather have had a traditional house, but we made it so environmentally sensitive and uh, related to the the site that I think they didn't, uh, we finally got it through. Even though we had a long discussion over a a small cantilever facing the lake. And that became very controversial. And I said, well, cantilevers were done by Frank Lloyd Wright 85 years ago in falling water. So this is nothing new. And it's only, we finally from six feet uh, pushed it back to four feet. And, but they said like, well, once you start a cantilever, you don't know where it's going to lead. And I said, well, this is not going to be a Zaha Hadid house. So it just, you know, you have to deal with the absurdity of uh, <laughs> each community also. I don't know if this is going to be seen in Sterling Forest, but I...
0: Well, uh, yeah, listen, I, I think that it's really, it's, it's an important conversation to have because, yeah. you know, it, it, I think rules sustainable design these are these are topics that you know have been discussed in smaller communities for decades for a long time but because it's becoming you know a ubiquitous conversation it's going to happen more and more i wanted to ask you specifically about a couple of things the first of which i'm looking at an image of a hallway and there are gorgeous windows on one side and then on the other side of the hallway i'm i'm trying to figure out is it marble or is it granite that's that's on the wall and was that sort of an homage to what's on the other side of the glass. Cause when I'm looking at it from this particular angle, it almost looks like there's a mirror image and I, I'm just enamored by it. Yeah. I think it's wonderful.
1: Oh, well, Judy, you can.
2: I, I was gonna say, so those are an example of a fabulous artist. Um, Alex Turco did these phenomenal hand painted panels and it's sort of, uh, I think it's based on an onyx pattern but the scale is, is outsized, so it becomes very contemporary. And um, they're they're actually, in the photo, they look beautiful. In person, they're about 100 times more beautiful because they sort of reflect the light. And that's a perfect example of even time of day. Mm-hmm. Those transform at night and sort of at the, the magic hour, sort of right just at dusk leading into sunset, they literally sparkle because there's a little bit of metallic gold um, and, and a little bronze in there. And so they reflect the landscape, they sort of mimic it, but they don't mirror it, if that makes sense. So they feel like something natural and organic, but actually it's a completely painted panel. I think they're done um, some paint on aluminum with a a coating. So they're fantastic.
0: I love that. And I'm curious, as I also look into one one of the bathrooms, it looks like something maybe similar was done in, if I, if I can get the angle right, it's sort of blues
1: and grays. Oh, well, that's actually real stone. That is. <laughs> that's Amazonite stone. Oh, but that's that, one of that's... the tricks of that. I think the house has made the real look unreal and vice versa,
2: so. <laughs> that was actually a fun part of it though. There are some beautiful stones in the house.
1: -hmm. Um, Natural
2: stone, but there's also a lot of interesting, you know, that I would consider those panels artist panels, but also a little bit of a plan trompe l'oeil. We have a hand sculpted wall covering down in the master suite. I mean, there are there are just so many examples throughout the house of fantastic, beautiful craft and Mm -hmm. artisanship, and. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of how many luxurious textures and and colors there are layered into the house. It's really a fun house, actually. It's a, every time you walk through, you sort of have the thrill of discovering something new.
0: And the last thing I will say is as I was looking at this project, this really is to me a legacy project. When you think about American architecture in, in particular, not European, but when you think about American architecture, our, our our architectural system was not modeled after the Europeans or the Asians where you think about architecture in terms of 400 500 1000 years but instead you know 100 years 200 years maybe 300 and then you're you're knocking it down and you're you're building something else this is reminiscent of a castle this is reminiscent of a european castle when you think about this and i'm just curious when you think about this project, Alex, did you have a number in mind? And I've, I've always said, you know, architects design for, for, you know, 10, not for 10 or 20 years, but for 50, 75, 150 and designers sort of design for 10, 15, 25 years to appeal to to different tastes. When you work on a project like this, do you, do you have a thought in the back of your mind? Like i this should be still standing as is in 2000 years from now
1: well, i think uh, yes uh, it should be at the level of the pantheon <laughs> no, but but
0: I, you know it's funny and i asked the question not to be not to be silly but when you look at the materials and you look at how it was built into the site right this this was this is a, a project that you take care of it you know, should, there's no reason why it shouldn't be standing in thousands of years.
1: No, no, absolutely. I, I always, I always think of our work as, I don't want to use the word timeless, but, uh, in a way that is the best word that it shouldn't, it should be so, um, definitive, uh, to the site and, you know, in relationship to itself as an artistic object that it, uh, it's not necessarily of any specific time so that it can be seen hundreds of years from now, but uh, as something worth remembering, so.
2: And I would say, leading from, you know, coming from there, as we chose materials, I don't think we were, in my practice, I don't worry about what is fashionable today, What I strive to do is to find the right thing for the project. And in this case, it was this lushness of materials. And so for me, I don't find them to be timeless. As a matter of fact, I think one of the stones we used in particular has cu- become now a couple of years, you know, it's become kind of the it stone today. And I fully expect in a couple of years, it will no longer be and they'll be onto something else, but it's just classic and it belongs in the house. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe you know, a hundred years from now, they'll need a little reupholstery. But I think we we went with some classic shapes um and things that weren't sort of very, you know, two thousand nineteen or whatever. You know, they didn't they didn't speak to the year of their birth.
1: But Judy, they found uh, furniture in the tombs of Egypt and in Pompeii that's intact. And it so to be why re-upholed. shouldn't it be discovered at um... The Sterling bars House in the future, exactly. Well, and,
0: and again, I, I don't ask you know to to make it silly, but I do think, in all seriousness, I, I feel like you know we're talking about sustainable design, right? right? And time and timeless is part of sustainability. And I also think that you know one of the core principles of sustainable design is eliminating the ephemeral, temporary, sort of disposable mm-hmm. nature of design and architecture. And it feels like you've accomplished that here.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you. In a
1: way, I think the greatest comparison is to nature itself. So that architecture, the best architecture should be seen as an equivalent to a natural creation. Something that looks like it was always there uh, and is of the place. So uh, in that sense, it is, I, I, would want to think of it as something that's timeless or that can be seen and have a certain power um, many, many years from now as well.
0: Alex, Judy, thank you both very much for taking the time and for walking us through this. I think um, the project's amazing. Congratulations. Uh,
2: Thank Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. So nice meeting you.
0: Yes, this was fun. That's a wrap on this episode of Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home podcast featuring Alex Gorlin and Judy Dunn. Thank you, Judy and Alex. We love your work and congratulations on the Sterling Forest House. From all of us at Aspire Design and Home and Home Plus by Aspire, thank you to all of our sponsors and partners like Fiber Seal Northeast. And thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join us here on Curated Chill. See you next week. And until then, listen, subscribe, and come back to chill.